Hello and welcome to episode. I didn't know who was starring. Was it was it me, Angel? I this is a random. It's always, it's a, yeah, Nintendo, it's always right? you. Yeah. So it would no, be sometimes it's you. You counted down, so I thought it might meant that you start. But okay, hello and welcome to episode yeah, the I don't know when was the last time I started, but I can find that out confused. and tell you within twenty minutes of the show ending. And I will. <laughs> but anyway, welcome to episode two hundred seventy-two, everyone of the Round Tab Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And maybe it's fitting that we forgot how we sequenced this because we're talking about a lot of forgotten hmm. things this episode. Uh, we have Impressions of the Forgotten Sea. We have first details on Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Everything's so forgotten. We're just calling the episode Forgotten Title because, like, everything's forgotten. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's stuff beyond the forgetfulness, too. We have some other goodies in the form of brief impressions of an upcoming indie called The Company Man, Angels, hands-on thoughts on the Lego Mario question mark block set, look at 35 years of Street Fighter, some other news as well. So I think it's a good episode, even if the name is forgotten and not great. Um, and there are timestamps, of course, for all the topics uh, over at the blog post at ramtown.com, where, yes, you will true. need to once again see forgotten title as the thing you click to then get. Wait, is it forgotten title or forgotten name? I already forgot what we're calling it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I forgot. Okay. Well, this episode is living up to its title. It, it really is, yeah. And to quickly move past that confusion of title and name, let's talk about one of the forgotten things that is sparking this whole naming scheme. And um, Kevin, you've been playing The Forgotten City, right? Which is I have been playing The Forgotten City. You are right, and it's on Which Switch. Is, it's on. It I was gonna say Switch. it's on Switch. It's in a cloud version. Asterisk. Yep. Yep. It's on but, Switch. Yeah. Asterisk. You always got to. You always got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So how uh, is it? Yeah. What so it? it's I'm I'm have okay so the Forgotten City it's this sort of I guess like puzzle slash mystery game that apparently started off as an Elder Scrolls Skyrim mod. Uh, it starts off in the modern day, and you choose whether to play as either a male or female, and from there you get thrown into the story, where pretty much upon starting the game. You get transported to this ancient Roman city that's stuck in like a cavern of sorts that none of the uh, none of the residents can uh, can leave. Basically, uh, in that city, you learn that any time that one of its citizens commits a sin, every citizen will be turned into gold immediately, basically killing them. Uh, it's called the Golden Damn. Rule. And, Jason wouldn't have yeah. a day. Hey. Yeah, you I mean, you're not necessarily wrong, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you meet the the magistrate, which is essentially the ruler of the city or like the, the mayor. And he teaches you all about the rule and also lets you in on the fact that you can loop to the start of the day, uh, like as soon as you arrive at the city. Um, and the reason that he knows that is that he knows that the golden rule is about to be broken. So in a way, he brings you into into uh this ancient roman city i I forget the name of it but essentially he tasks you with finding out uh who the person is that's about to commit the golden rule and essentially kill everybody uh so that's your task you go around the city to talk to like its residents to try and figure out exactly what and who was going to cause everyone to die there's about 15 ish different characters and they each have their own theories and conspiracies about the rules but they also have their own uh, like storylines, and with those storylines come like some mysteries, which essentially act as uh, sort of side quests. And of course, you can complete them if you want, but 
generally completing them gives you a little bit more backstory into the characters and other characters and can also like help you fill in uh like some gaps in uh stories or in this story about who is about to commit the uh the the golden rule uh like uh one of the side quests for instance is uh the magistrate's daughter has gone missing so if you want you can try and figure out who exactly or what exactly happened to her um and so you can finish the entire story without learning that at all uh i went ahead and figured out what happened to her uh, and it uh it opened my eyes to some of other characters motivations for what is going on in this story which is really really interesting uh there's an election coming up so you can uh try and help the magistrate get reelected by helping out characters who are going to vote for his opponent but like sooner or later you'll do something or someone will do something that will lead to the golden rule being broken uh thankfully whenever you restart the loop you obviously as the player have knowledge from your previous loops uh that'll let you just straight up skip the introductions and formalities that come up whenever you come across a character that you've already met before. So it's it's very streamlined. That means that you don't have to do every single thing that you did up to the breaking of the golden rule all over again. You know, and that I I straight up would not play this game if I had to redo every single little thing that I did to uh to get to that point to have to restart the loop. Um that is usually the downfall for games like this, right? Like, I, I think 12 minutes ran into that prompt. I remember hearing from reviews is, you know, you, you restart whatever time loop and you're stuck kind of redundantly doing similar gameplay yeah. over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to keep doing it. Yeah. Thankfully, this, this avoids that completely. Um, it's not, it's not a spoiler to say that the, the first character that you meet in the city, uh, he will be the one to help you out with, uh, with completing tasks that you've already taken care of, like right at the beginning, as soon as you meet him again, which is really, really cool. Um, and also because of the loop and what triggers it, you'll like slowly learn more about the rule and what it exactly counts as a sin and what people are allowed to get away with, which then lets you get away with some things, you know? Uh, there's a lots of twists and turns in the game and like you slowly realize that everyone has their own secrets or their hidden agendas it's a very dialogue heavy game, but thankfully each character is written incredibly well. And not only that, but the game is fully voice acted. Um, and just like the writing, the voice acting is really, really good. The game is mainly about narrative, but there are some action sequences and some parts that are horror light, but it's nothing crazy for either of those sequences. Um, this isn't a spoiler because I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they tell you up front, but there are multiple endings. I've seen two of them. One of them, which is explicitly called by the developers the canonical ending. It took me three hours to get the first ending and an extra two to get to the true canon ending. So it's a pretty short game. Um, and like we said at the top, a big thing to consider is that there's only this cloud version. So, of course, the entire experience is going to be based on your internet connection. But like I said, this isn't an action game. So it's not like a Twitch shooter where reaction times are are like you have to have like a super quick reaction time and there's no like there's nothing delay based nothing like that um like i said there is like some actiony parts of the game there's some platforming but nothing that requires 
like a one to one zero millisecond uh input lag input kind of thing so uh yeah it's not gonna kill you that's the forgotten city really enjoyed it nice change of pace from the type of games that i play i definitely recommend it for those who love like a very good uh video game narrative and the fact that it's short i'm sure will uh will entice some people to get into it too can you can you like feel the roots of uh it being a mod of being a skyrim mod like does it feel kind of skyrim or did they manage to like actually move it past that now that's a free oh it's it, it's got some of the skyrim jank for sure and whenever you come up to a character it does that thing where well the the whole entire game is in first person but it's just that thing where whenever you talk to a character it will like zoom in to their faces mm-hmm. and then the background will be slightly blurred and then yeah, then you got you know your your uh your dialogue options, your dialogue trees that you choose from. Yeah, but aside from that, there's a you can't really I wouldn't know that this was a Skyrim mod. Uh if I played it. Not that this, this is nearly uh a Skyrim mod. Skyrim has a mod that is basically this game. This is its own version. So you don't need Skyrim to play it. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't be able to tell that's a Skyrim mod. But knowing that, I can definitely be like, okay, yeah, this is a Skyrim mod. You can see this the the um, framework, the strings yeah, exactly. being pulled. Yeah, it, it's interesting because like I can't think of a time that a game. Well, I guess that's not true. There's been other mods I've taken off, like Counter Strike stuff and whatnot. But it's very rare that a game gets a mod that becomes its own game that then is published and developed by a completely different company that has no connection back to the source you know what i mean like because this isn't but that says nothing i think it this, is right? developed by the same people i'm not sure who's publishing the game though oh okay interesting interesting it, it definitely might a be rarity on a nintendo system to have a modded game kind of as a standalone thing like this on the on a nintendo system asterisk you, you yes gotta, with an asterisk on a on a server that's feeding bits into a nintendo system <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but interesting, yeah, because this one came out, like, I think it was, like, end of September. It was, like, the week of a Nintendo Direct or something, and there was, like, not a blip of, like, there's no coverage of it whatsoever from Nintendo. But it, it's interesting because it sounds like a really kind of unique experience for the Switch. Yeah, I'm not sure how many games of this caliber there are on the right. Switch. I'm sure there's a very, there's a lot of narrative games, but nothing necessarily to this degree where you have, you know, the city isn't isn't huge. It's not... It's not the size of, let's say, I can't think of a of a of like a big big open world that has. It, it's it's almost sort of like a hub world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I guess it, it'd be the size of an average open world games hub world. Yeah, I'd say that, but but it's not like this massive massive open world. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I need to try these cloud versions eventually. I mean, my, my Switch sits literally a foot from my router, so I'm not really worried about the connection. But like this, or like Guardians of the Galaxy, I've heard good things about. In general, not necessarily the really Switch shocked version. You haven't tried yeah. a demo of a cloud version, like the Control one. Like I have. Yeah. I had no interest in trying Control, but I just did it just because I wanted to see what running playing a game, you know, running on the cloud was like. And I it think was a lot I was better than cons- I thought it was. Yeah, I think I was considering Control. Played way better than I thought it was going to play. I was I was impressed by it actually. I should just try Guardian, shouldn't I? I've heard such good things about the story and Gu- or even Forgotten City, like these narrative driven ones where like I'm gonna yes. probably be and then playing. Maybe talk about in on the next place. episode. That's true. Look at that. Seeding content. Yeah. 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 Synergy and all that. <laughs> yeah, I should try it. It is weird. I remember with control I didn't do it just because um 
they had like a server queue. Like I remember when it first came out because everyone wanted to try it. Like you download it and be like, you can play in like an hour. Or at least that's what I saw people saying on Twitter. And I was like, I don't want to wait. So I just never did it, which makes zero sense. But oh well. Anyway, well, that's cool, Kevin. That might be one yeah. we're checking out. I forgot to see. Um, while we're talking about what we've been playing, I have a game I wanted to touch on too, although it is just a demo at this point. But um, about a week ago, Nintendo's Indie World Twitter account showcased a game called The Company Man that caught my eye, um, pretty much based on press alone, Whoa. which is essentially... Based, based huh? on one of my favorite YouTube channels that literally called The Company Man? No, Every this Wednesday, is based... They posted new... Go ahead. Actually, I'll save that for a random Nintendo. But... I mean, you already started, at least finished the thought. <laughs> No, he's saving it for my podcast. Oh, your podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, now, sure. now the truth is out to the public. There's a rivalry within RN of which RN is the RN. But yes, um, no, the company man in this case, uh, it is essentially a platformer themed around the idea of like office revenge fantasy. So you're a low level employee named Jim, which the developers have said is a reference to the office. Um, but yeah, you're this guy, Jim. And he decides to overthrow his company's management by working his way up the corporate ladder, uh, not through, you know, good work ethic or dedication to assignments or whatever, but by literally platforming his way through levels full of bad coworkers and beating bosses in boss fights. Um, so in the demo, you start at like the lowest level of the company's tone pole. You're in human resources and are trying to kind of bob and weave around coworkers who have bad breath, meaning they shoot fire. And uh, interns who are falling from the sky as obstacles that you have to dodge because, you know, interns are disposable. Um, and over the course of the level, you start to actually learn that management is literally pumping out interns from a machine, uh, which you end up breaking in a boss fight with the manager for that floor who uses, if I remember correctly, I think he uses his computer mouse as a whip. And you, by the way, are armed with a keyboard as a sword in a kind of weird literal take on uh, Keyboard Warrior. But at the end of the level, you're then granted, right as the demo ends, a Mega Man-style blaster projectile ability called Email Blast because you are literally shooting out emails, much like an email marketer would. So you can kind of see, like, they really are leaning into the theme of it all being just kind of poking fun at offices and having fun with some of the wordplay and the puns and whatnot, which, of course, is right up my alley. Uh, they also have the whole game in kind of this nice 2D, I think, hand-drawn art style. And there's um, all sorts of little tie-ins to kind of bring back the theme of you're in an office in the corporate world. It's like you have coffee breaks to restore health. There are destructible walls made from piles of paperwork. There are different types of coffee you can find. You can brew different coffees for different stamina and health enhancements. Um, but I think what really clicked with me about the game is that it plays so much like a throwback to the NES and maybe specifically the Super NES uh, era of platformers, like that period where everyone needed to make a platformer. So we had all these weird ones around like animals, like, you know, Air of the Acrobat or like mascots from soda cans, like Cool Spot had a platformer from 7-Up. And, you know, gameplay-wise, I feel like the company man is right in there. You, you're identifying enemy and boss patterns. You're using different power-ups in the form of your, you know, office-themed upgrades and weapons. You're doing some platforming challenges with, like, a boost move. You know, all that typical stuff you'd see in platformers of that era. The diff- Oops, I almost knocked my water over. But, yeah, the, the difference here is that, in a way, um, the game kind of knows you're older now and that you're in the workforce. So it's not, like, fuzzy animals or, quote-unquote, like, cool mascots. It's, you know, reflecting and parodying the more mundane reality of what adult life is. Offices, corporate world, all that. Um and the demo is just this one HR level, which is kind of like, I guess, fire and like mechanical, like steampunk themed. But I was reading up a bit, and it sounds like they do the whole trope of different themed worlds just around corporate life. So accounting, for example, that level is an ice level. In the game, it's because they have high uh, AC. But on a parody level, you know, accounting, 
has the reputation of being some of the coldest people in a company because they have to deal with the money. So they're very like terse and direct and that sort of thing. So they have the cold level or, you know, even how you're able to boost your health and standard with the coffee bean system that I was mentioning before. Um, like that's a familiar idea. It's just steamed well within this. So it, it's just, it was just kind of a fun twist on what we grew up with, with that sort of platformer. The question is going to be, you know, how much variety is there within this theme in terms of new platforming elements and new mechanics. But I think it's out like this week or next. So it won't take long to get an answer for that. Um, it might actually be out by the time some people listen to this. I think I literally think it comes out in the next couple of days. But it's just one of those games to have on your radar, especially since um, the one reveal it got on the Indie World Twitter was so much lower key than a proper Indie World showcase appearance or something of that sort, which actually, that's a weird thing I've noticed these last couple of weeks. Um, at least since they did the last Indie World showcase. Like in our last round Nintendo, I was saying it kind of felt that showcase felt a little same samey at times. Like they leaned more on games that were motion heavy and had some similar art styles and gameplay. We highlighted last episode some exceptions like Locomo- uh, Locomotive and things like that. And that's totally fine. There's a huge audience for games that are that have cut from that cloth. But then on the Indie World Twitter, they started showing off kind of more different stuff. Like, you know, the company name was there. There's another game called Pop Slinger, which is described as a musical shooter. Like you run around in kind of a beat em up game side-scrolling view but with a bit more freedom movement you have a soda gun to shoot emmys and it's all sets like city pop like subgenre of music and has an art style looks kind of like you're playing an old vhs vhs tape of a cartoon so it's like a cartoon stack but then with like the the kind of gritty scan line thing on top of it and you know maybe these games only showed up on the twitter and on the showcase because maybe they're not as of high quality in the end or something like even watching pop slingers trailer um the game feels almost too zoomed in on the character. Like I'm not even playing, but just watching it, it felt potentially like you're too zoomed in. But to not even include these tiles, you know, the company manner of this and like the sizzle reel in the showcase, that just felt odd to me. And I don't know, it, it, it I guess it's just a missed opportunity because like the Indie World Twitter has about 50,000 followers. I looked at Pop Slinger's view count on that tweet, had 5,000 views on the trailer. Meanwhile, the showcase is sitting there on Nintendo's 8 million subscriber channel with over, with just shy of a million views on that showcase alone. It's just like, why not throw a bone? If you think it's interesting enough to highlight two weeks later, why not just stick it in the sizzle reel? Like, I don't know. But anyway, that was supposed to be about Company Man demo. It went a little beyond that. But yeah, that's Company Man. Might be worth keeping an eye on. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been playing. Angel, your turn. What have you been playing? Or I guess maybe building, because you have the Legos. But did you play anything too? Or Yeah, I haven't really played anything new. I mean, I have actually gone back to Monster Hunter and I've been playing that a lot with some coworkers reliving some well like finally getting through some main bosses going through the dlc missions which has been really fun finally got myself my my rush mount and my amaterasu mount and damn that rush mount is super awesome like whenever you get that sprint going and you just starts flying man they they did a great job but besides that yeah the only new nintendo thing i've done recently is um finally getting around to building the the question mark block that Jason actually got me for Christmas, which was a very fun build. I don't remember the last time I built a Lego set. We normally don't really have too many Lego sets, and if I have built one, it was definitely a smaller one. I mean, the last one I bought was definitely Ninja Turtle one. We have, like, most of the Ninja Turtle Lego set line, but they're all boxed. I don't even know where we would put them if we built them. But... Something that I've come to really appreciate about Lego in general is just that not only, you know, it's the final product and really impressive, but the build process itself is just feels very 
intentional and they made it fun. Like you, they make you build things in a specific order so that as it, you know, as the project goes on, more and more is revealed. You're not just stuck building one side of it the whole time. It kind of jumps around to different parts to keep things fresh. The steps are, at least in this one, weren't that complicated. I mean, it's a giant cube, but slowly putting together the mechanisms that causes, in case you haven't seen this one, it's a giant question mark block that has three Super Mario 64 worlds in it, including in addition to Peach's Castle. And each of those has like little Easter eggs, because if you recall from, I'm guessing whenever Jason talked about his NES set and TV that he built for Lego, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they love putting in their Easter eggs. And as you're building them, there are some things that you will notice that you're like, oh, like in this one, for example, there was a part that it felt like they were trying to create like a like an ice flower for some reason. Like it just had like the blue ring around, the white ring in the middle, and kind of like a green stem. And that's completely hidden in the build. It's just like you see it for one layer and then it's gone, which is cool. But, you know, it's like a nice little thing. But then you also have like other hidden compartments that it just makes this piece really fun to show off. Because, you know, someone comes in, you open it up, you press a panel, and then, bloop, this whole mechanism flips around and you see the three Mario 64 worlds and you see the castle. And that alone is already, like, a sight to behold, especially if you played a ton of Super Mario 64 like I did. And you'll instantly recognize, like, a lot of the little, like, it's like, level detail, like, oh, you look at the lava land. Oh, they bothered to put the rolling log. They have the eye, Mr. Eye, in the right spot. They have the... The Bowser jigsaw puzzle, they have the volcano, like everything's there. And then you go to Cool Cool Mountain and like you see the chimney where you're supposed to go in to find the big slide. And sure enough, you can remove the side of the mountain and the slide is actually built in there. You also have the snowman, you have the penguins and like every level just has like little neat, yeah, just little, little neat little details like that, that... I guess, like, real fans will really, really appreciate. And even if you're not a big fan of the game, it's still a really fun build. And I'm sure even just looking it up to seeing what it's referencing, as well as, you know, reading through the instruction booklet, which has uh, goes into a lot about the, you know, the history of the game, just some details. Like, they acknowledge that the N64 block, I mean, that the question mark block is in Mario 64, which was definitely my biggest gripe with it. But that was before I got it. And at the end of the day, the... I guess the answer was that it's just too iconic not to make a Lego set out of, but yeah, they could have easily picked a block from Mario 64, but it sounds like it's not really guaranteed that they're going to get to do more of these sets or what the next set will be like. So, you know, if they had to pick one block, you kind of have to go with the question mark block, which, yeah, I'm totally good with. I mean, even right now, the way I just have it displayed, it's just the block is on top of my shelf and I just have a... A decently sized Bowser figure on top of it. And if I ever want to play with it, I could just remove that Bowser figure. So, this has a question mark block. It's really awesome. But, yeah. And honestly, I feel like, price-wise, it feels pretty fair for everything that you get. For how durable it is. Especially for how delicate the mechanisms feel. It, yeah, it's not going to break anytime soon. Like, you could actually be kind of rough with it. You could literally just, like flick the compartment so that it flips over and it won't break it's pretty impressive and yeah because of that i just suddenly got into like a little building phase like i bought myself a lego bonsai tree and i built that 
And then I finally got around to building a Woody and Buzz model kit that a friend had given me for my birthday. No, for Christmas. No. Oh my God, it was for my birthday. Well, wow, that was a long time ago. And it just also, technically, the Lego block for but you the... from me was also for your birthday. Very delayed. It wasn't Christmas. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like a... Yeah. Oh, you're right. It was for a birthday. Yeah. 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 yeah, we kind of double teamed that one. But it was a very awesome gift. Thank you again, Jason. Oh, yeah, no problem. And I'm... Yeah, I definitely recommend it. If it's still available... It almost makes me want to get the NES and TV set, but I think it honestly, might the only thing holding me back from it, huh? I think it might be available. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure the the block is available. I don't know if the other the other one is. Like, I still keep getting tempted once in a while, but I might hold off. I mean, on top of just not having any space to put it anywhere, um, I, I I just need to wait for them to release all the sets. I don't want to get it and then they make. A Super Nintendo one because I have no nostalgia for an NES, so yeah, it. I feel like it would be like a shame if I got that and then something else came out later. I don't want to have that the retroactive FOMO. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what it would yeah, be. Yeah, then I'll be left like. I so uh, I did check, but we'll the, see. The like- Maybe we'll still get the giant Bowser's castle set. Just make it like the Hogwarts one or the Disney Castle one. I don't care if it's cost a couple hundreds like oh my god their AT-AT that I saw at downtown Disney the other day was like 700 bucks but it's also really huge seeing it built in front of me was my god it was, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what, what people what people do with it it looks amazing like I'm sure it's really fun to build but damn that thing is it's just like those giant statues that you see at Comic Con that you wonder what person actually buys these because they look really awesome but they're just huge. Like, damn. I mean, you're you're just describing what held me back from getting the Lego, like from getting the question mark block for myself, which is I couldn't figure out where to put that big cube. Like the Lego NES, I know you're saying you couldn't find space for it, but really it's it's, it's a TV and it's a system and it's a controller, so they could be a little adaptable. You can put them across different shelves. You can, you know, there, there's a little flexibility there, but like a big old yellow block, that, that's been my holdup at this point. It's just where do I put a big old yellow block so it's funny that we have the because exact you know problem where to put it aesthetically or you just a little, don't a have a little because i mean because my issue is surface space not so much aesthetically it's a mix of aesthetically, aesthetically and surface yeah, space i'll make it work. It's, it's both it's both really um but yeah it's just funny that we have the exact same issue with polar opposite directions but for those wondering it is technically still available the lego nes it is quote hard to find according to lego's own website and they don't have it on their website but resellers may still have it so like official resellers, not scalpers. So that's where that's at. But the question mark block comes and goes. They last had in stock um, on January 1st, which is also when they rolled out, speaking of other sets, uh, the Sonic Green Hill Zone Lego set. Like, video games are really having a Lego moment, I feel like. Um, and this... My brother does have on hand right now. I don't know when he's going to build it, but he does. Oh, he have does it. have it. It's cool. It's cool. It's like it's like because yeah. like I feel like with Nintendo Lego and Nintendo are making such an effort of like it has to be different. It can't just be a Lego recreation of something. So it's like oh, like it's a it's a model of a TV. It's not just Mario. Oh, it's Lego Mario as an interactive experience. Oh, it's this block that unfolds and has worlds in it. Like the the Sonic one was just straight up. Here's Green Hill Zone. Here's Sunny Emmys. Here's Lego fight forms of Eggman and Sonic and whatnot and the Chaos Emeralds and. It's all it's like seventy bucks opposed to the hundred sixty whatever sixty nine it is for uh the Nintendo ones by comparison. Um so yeah, it's like whatever your cup of whatever your budget and whatever your cup of uh video game tea, they seem to have a Lego set for it now. 
And the Sonic one's cool because, if I'm not mistaken, it came from Lego Lego Ideas, which means a fan designed it, at least the rough version. Then it got enough votes for Lego to go to Sega and be like, let's do this. And then Sega was like, okay, sure. So props to the Sonic fans for making that happen, I guess. Magic. Magic. But yeah, I, I, I don't... Is anyone else noticing that, like, games, like, as an IP are, like, the thing now? I mean, it's been a while, obviously, of video games moving into IPs. But I mean, like... We have three video game movies coming out this year. Uncharted, Sonic 2, and Mario. We have, like, The Witcher and Arcane being some of the biggest shows on Netflix. Like, it feels like it took a while. There's some momentum. It started happening with, like, Sonic 1 and Detective Pikachu, but we're finally at the point where, like, games have really, like, crossed over to be multi multimedia properties in the way that, like, comics have been for a while. This just being maybe the latest example. You know, the Lego block. But just observing. The Lego block? Yeah, your, your Lego block. Your Lego uh. question mark block. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But just observing, just thinking yeah. out loud. But um, while we're talking about things that are sort of tangential to Nintendo's own releases, can I talk about that Bidoof short for a moment? Did you guys watch this the other day? Bidoof's big stand. Uh, no, I refuse to support a uh, Bidoof propaganda. So. Oh well, this is super propaganda. Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, Kevin, I'm guessing you didn't see it either, huh? No, I didn't see it. Okay. Out of uh, what's the word? Respect for yourself. <laughs> Let's go with that one. <laughs> what, We're going to say I, in solidarity with say, Angel. Might have been a little bit meaner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, okay. Well, you guys missed out. Because first of all, it, for those who haven't seen it, it was an eight-minute little mini animated short starring Bidoof. And of course, I like it because Bidoof's in it, and I have no respect for myself, apparently. But in and of itself, it's a well-done short. Like, good animation, surprisingly touching premise about this outcasted Bidoof who kind of finds himself. Uh, it's all done with no dialogue. It has a lot of the quality of the, like, I don't know, uh, the shorts that would run before a Disney or Pixar movie. Um, but the reason I mention it... Wait, did you by chance hmm. um, get to watch it with Rachel? No, I haven't yet. I watched it while she wasn't home because I needed to really I guess have I'm privacy just curious for that with someone that, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just curious with someone that doesn't have a mental and spiritual connection to Bidoof. So she she may think. not have a mental and spiritual connection to Bidoof, but she does understand my mental and spiritual connection and as such would never... I can't see her watching and be like, that was bad. I mean, she supported me getting a Bidoof shirt, a Bidoof poster, just Bidoof in life in general. I think I'm going to have to show so, the shirt to my sister in that case. Um, Let's see what she thinks about it. Yeah, I mean, I'll show it to, I'll show it to Rachel and we can get, uh, we could have a powwow, post-podcast powwow about the adjacent people in our lives' thoughts on the Bidoof shirt. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, what is an unbiased view of this? Well, so I admit I'm biased because here's the thing: the reason I want to mention it is not just because as a Badoof fan I I liked it, but as like a day one Badoof diehard, which is a thing I just said out loud, and I can't believe I said that. Uh, I noticed that whether intentional or not, the short actually has this whole second layer to it, where it doubles as an allegory for Badoof's own rise to prominence within the Pokemon franchise. And I'm sure nobody cares about this, and nobody knows this, and it probably wasn't intentional, but what's a, po- a podcast if not a platform to dive into these deeper, thought-provoking analyses, right? So, allow me to... Ex- exactly, and I'm sure one podcast will do that one day. And it will be ours, and it'll be right now. Let me expound expound on that, for, for this whole idea, for a moment, please. And And this part will... I can't believe I'm about to say this. It will contain spoilers for a Bidoof animated short. So if you need to pause this and go watch it, go for it. We'll link to the blog post at Rantendo.com, or we'll link to the video in the blog post at Rantendo.com for this episode. And Angel, Kevin, I apologize for A, the spoilers you might get, and B, I just apologize in advance for what's about to happen to you and what you're going to have to hear. 
But it all begins with the first frame of the short, which is Pikachu. You see... I can't believe I'm doing this. But you see, the short starts with the most popular Pokemon, who quickly gets startled and hides from a Bidoof going by. Many Bidoof, in fact. Uh, perhaps representing that the Pokemon company was introduced, was introducing this you know new star Pokemon, and it was one of the few times that Pikachu felt threatened, right? So what we quickly realize, however, in the short, is that Bidoof is actually not on par with his peers. In the short, that's represented by one try-hard Bidoof doing his absolute best, but, not, but all the Bidoof around him finding him problematic. In the same way that, you know, in Diamond and Pearl, when they first debuted in those games, Bidoof technically was the best for all your HM needs. He was called an HM slave for a reason, but was still held back from being a star by being Bidoof. Like, many felt he didn't have any good qualities. Even if he was good for HMs, there was nothing good about him beyond that stat-wise. It's just bad. So he's quickly ostracized and outcast. Outcasted, I guess you could say. In the short, uh, that takes the form of separating him from the herd, He's no longer with his other Bidoofs. He's then judged by two wild Piplups. He's then chased by a swarm of Starlies and eventually a Star Raptor, which easily can be representations of how the early fandom received him. Some found him annoying and wanted nothing to do with him, much like some people probably feel right now as I'm talking. And that is represented uh, with the Piplups. Others heckled him, like the Starlies chasing him. Others were angered by how worthless he was perceived outside of carrying HMs, which is, you know, like why there's our uh, Star Raptor screeching at him. Much like perhaps fans screeched with laughter, let's say, at the idea of Bidoof being a good Pokemon. But fortunately, this is where things start to turn around for our protagonist, Bidoof, and Bidoof in the Pokemon franchise. Uh, he dis- He's discovered by a trailer, uh, a trailer, a trainer in the short, and specifically the trainer's Lucario. Now, Lucario, arguably, I still can't believe I'm doing this, is a representation of a late bloomer to the Pokemon franchise, right? Like, how is it possible for a Pokemon introduced in later games, such later games, to become a fan favorite as fast as Lucario has done and transcend to the level of being a Smash Bros. fighter? So, here's Lucario meeting Bidoof, and the trainer in the short, he's the one that puts Bidoof through the grind of becoming a good Pokemon. He never gave up on him, he's constantly putting him into new situations where he has to use his HMs in creative ways, or in the real life parallel. Through the grinder instead of the grind. What? Oh, ouch, no, no, bad, no, no, Bidoof deserves all the praise. Are Bidoof's edible? <laughs> um, you know, you looked that up Are while I finished my, my parallel here, because in real life, you could say the trainer and the Lucario. Nothing on Google about Bidoof's being edible. Wait, did you Google it? What's the answer? Uh, there's nothing on it. Good. Good. You know, honestly, that, that raises a question. As a Bidoof fan, do I want... Or Beaver's edible. As a Bidoof fan, would I want some of Bidoof inside me? Would I want to eat a Bidoof? It's a, it's a real question. Do I want to get closer to him in that physical way? I don't know. But anyway, so in the short... Beaver meat is not only edible, but the tail is considered a delicacy. Well, here's the problem, okay, Kevin. So hold on, hold on. Theoretically, Bidoof would be edible. Problem is, Bidoof is not actually a beaver. According to the Pokedex, he is a plump mouse Pokemon, which makes no sense based on his teeth, but that's what they say. Well, he evolves into a beaver, so I guess... All right, so we can eat his... Into his something neck. Yeah, but no one cares about his next form. Bidoof is pure in his first stage. Anyway, back to my parallels, right? So in the in the in the I still can't believe I do this. In the animated short, the trainer kind of gets him good, essentially. And in real life, you can say that grind that you see the trainer do in the short, that was the small contingent of Pokemon fans who liked Bidoof, you know, the one trainer who actually liked him in the short, and they liked him early on, they put him in fan art, they made those god Bidoof memes, they generally, you know, kinda of grinded slow and steady to raising his profile among the broader fan base. And then finally in the short, there's the big fight 
the big Pokemon battle that trainers has been training him for, in which Bidoof ends up becoming the last Pokemon standing and ultimately wins the match and the crowd's, aka the fans, affection. And he seals the deal, so to speak, by getting a high five he so desperately wanted throughout the short from the trainer at the very end of the short. And that final high five, that's the re-embrace by the Pokemon company. That's the merch, that's the dedicated day of the year, that's all the game appearances, like Bidoof wanted to be a star, he had the abilities to become a star, it just took a longer path. The help of a trainer, aka some fans who saw potential in him for it to all finally happen. And now here we are with a Badoof short and my way too long analysis of what it represents. And because and it's all because, like in Badoof's big stand, Badoof was finally able to stand tall. So thus concludes my TED Talk. Thank you for coming. I'll take questions out in the lobby. And I apologize for what you just had to listen to. I've been thinking about this for like five days. <laughs> what does beaver meat taste like? You can eat beaver meat, and it's very good. Okay, I'm I I like the fact that the, in the Pokemon world they have really delicious edible Pokemon in the form of Bidoof. You know, as long as you I, as long as I heard in different parts joy. of that sentence, I like and Bidoof. Like the middle part doesn't matter. You said I like, and you said Bidoof, so I'll take it as a win. They probably also like use their they're like do they have hides or or, or I don't no they're hides? like they're like they're fuzzy skins? I think I don't think they have like. Okay, I'm sure they make great carpets too. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. That that, that, that both is something I would want is a, a house full of Bidoof decor, but also I wouldn't want to kill a Bidoof. Hmm. Well, so as that all was, think about it. <laughs> as ridiculous as that all was, and I admit I just needed to get that off my chest. So thank you for putting up with that. Um, it was. It is actually a good transition to the news segment of this episode. Because, you know, we were talking about games, and that kind of sped, led us into Badoof somehow. But all the news this episode centers around 2022 starting to come into focus a bit. And while we know Nintendo... Okay, hold up. Yes. Hold up. I, hold up. Let me let me pick a bone with you real quick. Yes. Did you choose this PC Mag article on purpose? Why? Or was it just a coincidence? Why? What's you it You know say? why. No, I don't. Open what are you it. talking about? For Pokemon Legends Arceus or for Badoof? Yeah. Did, do you they reference Badoof? I actually didn't. I just open the article. I'm I'm getting it. Hang on. Uh, is the screenshot of Badoof? It's loading. It's loading. Oh my god! The lead image is Badoof. I did not choose this on purpose. To be honest, I was I just Googled for a good. You're article. full of it, and <laughs> you absolutely chose this on purpose. I wish. I wish. No. So basically, what happened is because the video was just like a random YouTube video, but no, it didn't have any like synopsis. I found I looked for an article that summarized the video a bit. So when we linked to it in the blog post, anyone who wants. You know, there's a bit more information on it. I didn't even notice Badoof in the lead image. That was just the, you know, that was just one of the better uh-huh. articles. But I will Man. proudly take it. What a coincidence! What a coincidence! Much like how you know the first news story is also a coincidence because what I started to say is, um, 2022, law games coming. We didn't really know anything outside of one game, which was Pokemon Legends Arceus, which Badoof is in. Uh, that's the only one that had a concrete date or details. And even then, like this past week, they put out this video, and it's kind of interesting how closely Nintendo is still to this moment playing Legends, like to the chest. Like they, can you guys recall any other Pokemon game where we know this little going into its release? Like we're two weeks out, we don't know the deeper. I mean, I don't know. No, and it's refreshing. It is. No, I'm. I like it. Yes, it's. Uh, it actually makes it kind of exciting because the fact that we don't know it all is weirdly almost the most exciting because it's been so long pokemon's been formulaic or it's been a spinoff so the fact that like we're going in a little blind i'm pretty excited to check it out as a result but um the video did shed a little light on it but it's very like surface level 
So what we know from the video um, is it, it was 13 minutes long. It outlined the gameplay, it claims. But what they only really explained is the, the, the gameplay loop of you're not just catching Pokemon in the wild to fill out this regional Pokedex in this ancient version of Sinnoh, but you're doing it multiple times over to document certain states of Pokemon, almost in like a Pokemon Snap photo challenge kind of way. And then within that whole system, there are some alpha Pokemon, which are going to be harder to find versions of some Pokemon, and they're physically bigger. And then there are noble Pokemon, which are sort of like big boss fights where you first need to stun them, then you hop into battle. And battle can be turn-based, like in normal Pokemon games, uh, but has this add layer of agile and strength attacks with kind of this risk-reward system of you know, do you go first or do you go second with a stronger attack and how will the enemy respond and what's that mean for your next turn and damage taken that you take? And then there's this other thing they've kind of alluded to, which are wardens, which are supposedly like the gym leaders of the region, but I guess they're just assigning you different things. I don't really know. Like, it's unclear what ties it all together, even though we have a 13-minute video sitting in front of us that supposedly says it. And yeah, I, on the one hand, I guess that's kind of exciting, but I am, I have this weird tepidate, like thought in the back of my mind of what if that's it? What if the entire game is you go into these seemingly half-empty open areas, because they don't look very uh, populated in the video, and you just find Pokemon, you throw a Pokeball at them, and then if they don't go into the ball initially, then you battle them, and then you go back, and then you do it again, and that's it. Because that's only, you know, a third of the Pokemon experience in the regular games. There's still trainer battles and, and other aspects. Like, there's is there online battles? It doesn't seem like it. You can trade. So, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's both refreshing and also kind of like... What what are what are they doing? What are we what should we expect? What's going to happen? So it's an interesting middle ground we're kind of in, but it's nice for once to not have everything so far in advance. I would say, and I imagine I know Angel, you always hated when Nintendo did that. Yeah, it's a shame that it's they're not doing that for a game I'm planning on getting. Yeah, like I imagine, uh, Kevin, where are you at with Legends? Because I know initially you weren't thinking of getting it. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely looking more and more interesting. The thing is, I'm just still not that big of a Pokemon fan mm. to <laughs> to grab this. And considering that it's an open world game, it's going to take up a, a lot of my time. I already have way too many games to play, so I don't see myself like picking this up. Unfortunately, it does look cool though. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. And yeah, it, yeah, I'm getting Monster Hunter vibes from it. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have, yeah. but then like I said earlier, since I already have Monster Hunter, it's like. Yeah, and, and you know, as someone that's never really gotten into the Pokemon franchise, uh, as well. I'm sorry. Did you just like say you didn't get into the Pokemon point. franchise? You? Yep. You know me, um, Angel. Never played Pokemon before. So long. Yeah, that that is both not your name and also not at all true about you. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this: What is the gameplay loop of Monster Hunter? It's kind of similar, right? You go out, you get the monster, you come back, you're assigned another monster, get you go out, you get it, right? Is there anything deeper than that? Because it seems like if Pokemon's just that, it's just doing Monster Hunter, or if Legends is just that. Uh, in a nutshell, I mean, I guess it's all that it, it's all that it really is. But I mean, I guess if you want to get more nitty gritty, I guess uh, the parts that get deeper are just the level of. I guess complexity that comes with the armor you build and the weapons you build and how you upgrade them and like pretty much I guess how much you can make your hunter feel your own. Not to mention the fact that like every weapon makes the game feel like a completely different game. Mm -hmm. Like using the long sword versus the blade versus the insect glaive. Like it's all completely different and I don't know how different I guess it's I mean, we don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I guess we'll we'll see how different Going into one with each Pokemon will feel because I mean, 
are you controlling the Pokemons directly? No. Or are you just instructing them? Because it might get a little a level of sameness if it's the latter. You are instructing them when but... you choose to bow. So there's two ways to do it. You either sneak up on Pokemon, and you do it. There is a crafting system. So maybe there's upgrades like yours, Garen. But you sneak up on Pokemon, and you throw a Pokeball. If they get caught the first go-around, cool. If not, you then have the opportunity to battle them in a turn-based battle like normal Pokemon. And that's it. <laughs> Supposedly. I mean, we'll see in a couple huh. weeks. But that's kind of all they've said. And it's unclear, like, what the Wardens do in terms of progressing the story and what you're doing for them. And, like, there's also side quests for other characters, but all they do is also have you go get Pokemon. Like, the example in the video was uh, someone wanted to see, like, a Shinx's ears up close, so you go catch him a Shinx, and that's it. So it's just, like, I don't know, like, how much variety there is over just go get this Pokemon, now go get that Pokemon. But we'll find out. It is, it, it's nice to be in the dark for once, weirdly. So I'll have impressions in a few weeks' time since I guess I'm the only one buying it. Um... You know, even if you're not getting Legends, there's still plenty of other games. Uh, the next of which Nintendo has now officially confirmed is going to be Kirby and the Forgotten Land, um, which weirdly, exact day and date with a year ago when they showed Super Mario 3D World's uh, trailer that debuted Bowser's Fury Mode, uh, Nintendo, now a year later, put out a uh, trailer that showed the first real gameplay details on Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which is now dated for March 25th, 2022, so just about two months from now. Um, did you guys see this trailer? Yes. What'd you think? I did. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get it, at least not right away. Doesn't look bad, but uh, I don't know. No- nothing really hooked me. I don't know why. Uh, it, it, just, it just seemed like a... Kirby game. I, it just, when I saw it, I was just like, I don't know if I have time for this right now. <laughs> it just felt like a simplified, like, Mario 64. I mean, like, Mario Odyssey. But Yeah, which is fine, because that's kind of the two... But, but that's just kind of all Kirby games. But... No, but this one's more Odyssey than that, because you have these two main mechanics, which is, one, you transform, like Mario Odyssey, and there's two new transformations they showed, a drill that lets you briefly burrow under enemies, and a ranger that lets you uh, shoot a gun. Kirby's got a gun now. Um, but you could do that. Or the other mechanic, or and I guess the other mechanic, is you have to collect these Waddledees that are scattered around these worlds. And the more Waddledees you get, the more you build up your kind of Waddledee town and unlock more stuff. So that, to me, sounds like the Power Moon collecting. So it really is kind of like Diet Odyssey. Which, Angel, you, you're somewhat famous around these podcast parts for not being the biggest fan of the whole Power Moon collecting in Odyssey. So that might even shy away more from this. Uh, nah, I mean... The only reason I was down on the moon collecting is because it was just an excess. Like, you don't need to have 900 collectible moons. I felt like if they had just stuck with, like, I don't know, a more generous number. I mean, a more reasonable number, like 200 or 300. Because there were some cleverly placed moons. There were a lot of moons that were just like, oh, this is like how they would design like a power star getting collected. But then there were just so many superfluous ones that just ended up making everything feel less special and less... I don't know. It's more of a chore to play. It just felt like a chore at the end. Normally, like, I enjoy the process of 100%ing Mario games, but towards the end, like, this one just ended up giving, making me feel... It just, yeah, it, it just kind of soured the experience a little towards the end. Because it just wasn't fun. It was just monotonous and uninspired. Right. But... Fair, fair. But, How about yeah. you, Kevin? Where you stand with uh, Forgotten Land here? Uh, you know what it reminded me of? It, it looked, a, it might have just been the camera, but it definitely gave me uh, 3D Land, 3D World mm-hmm. vibes more than it did Odyssey vibes. And, yeah, in terms uh, of like which layout, I, yeah. I really like those games, so 
that's a good sign. Uh, it does. It definitely does look like it has its charm. Uh, but am I picking it up? Uh, hard to say. I'm I'm definitely leaning into more shorter games, considering the amount of games that I play mm-hmm. that just take forever to complete or don't complete, like Apex. So I think I might just wait until I see like a runtime, and then go from there. That, that's reasonable. Yeah, I think I'm actually kind of like I'm kind of torn on where the whole thing stands with me now. Because like on the positive side, what I think is cool with uh, Forgotten Land is they're actually like finally moving the series past Kirby just being a game like clearly like like you know if you played any of the traditional Kirby games not the spin-offs the regular platformer ones you kind of knew the drill and they stuck to that very closely you know Kirby has abilities you use them in platformer levels that are very linear in fashion side scrolling most of the time you maybe get to do some co-op with a friend who also has abilities this game has that too uh, and if you need a break there's a menu screen or two with all these little side games and mini games you can play that have ranging depth that sometimes is enough to even be spun off into their own individual eShop games two or three years later. So that's kind of been like the formula, and it's worked very well for like 20 years, but it does feel like it's about time, and it's nice to see that how Nintendo progressed things a little. Like, it all feels a bit more organic. You know, levels may or may not be as linear in progression because they are in that 3D land world setup, and even between the levels, you know, like, um, all the marking materials are pointing to finding every Waddle D being a bit more of a challenge that could have you playing levels out of order or going back to levels or doing whatever than just point A to B. And those Waddle Ds, as you collect them, further develop this town that doubles as your main hub. So instead of it just being like a menu, um, there's actually different structures that open and different characters you talk to. And then their games are introduced and you kind of, it feels more like tied in than just here's a game that has a game in it and then these other mini games in it. And then there's this button to turn on co op and that's it. Like, so it's kind of nice that's a little more like, connected like there's like connective tissue through all the different aspects of it you know they even said that there are two so far two main games they confirmed there's a fishing one and there's some high score recipe making game in the waddle d cafe it's like it is nice to see like the bits and pieces of normal kirby be kind of introduced and mixed and matched in different ways um they're also taking a page from like new super mario brothers 2 of all things by having a universal waddle d count where everyone playing the game with an online connection can contribute to the global total of waddle d saved which is pretty much what they did with the global coin total in Mario uh, New Mario 2. Plus, they're also going to do some other stats that you'll be able to see which copy abilities are most popular at any given time in the world on any given day. And, you know, none of this is revolutionary by any means, but it is nice that it, like, it feels more like a little world than just, like, a Kirby game. But at the same time, I keep thinking about how much it's borrowing from other games or ideas we've seen before, and I don't think that's going to undercut the fun factor at all, but it does dampen a little the initial spark the teaser trailer gave me like the whole post-apocalyptic aesthetic thing is cool but re-watching the trailer it seems a little more surface level maybe than i thought it would be like there don't seem to be gameplay elements that actually relate to it it's kind of just a backdrop at least that's what it looks like like there are a few shots in the, the new trailer that shows great scale and scope of kirby walking through these like big crazy environments but like are they just opening shots for otherwise normal kind of 3D land, 3D world levels? Or is there anything deeper there? Like, I, I don't know. And I'm not saying it's a knock against it. Like, Mario Odyssey is one of my favorite games. Uh, Kirby's always a good time. So the marriage of them is one I'm looking forward to playing. It's just, I have questions, I guess. And I'm not sure if the way they built up the post-apocalyptic idea in that initial teaser is really as representative of anything in actuality as I thought it might be. Like, the, the I don't know, the, the there's, there's just like when I saw that there's other possibilities like oh it'd be cool if you're like exploring all these like 
half destroyed skyscrapers and it's like verticality introduced to Kirby and you have to actually use his flying a bit more or like you know maybe there's environmental elements you you interact with like maybe there's abandoned vehicles and stuff you control kind of like how he can become the robobot and plant robobot or you know things like that and zero of that was in the new trailer it seems like they're just kind of like background settings so I guess time will tell but that's kind of where I'm on where I'm at with it right now is it looks like a fun time but doesn't look quite as like fresh or different as that initial trailer pointed it to maybe being if that makes sense so time will tell um that's really kind of the motto of the problems of, of hmm. i guess if being around in the in the gaming space for there's also that time. there's also yeah because you know i was even saying like this reminds me of this this is that this is pulled from here it's like yeah for the exactly like literally yeah, for that, like kirby yeah, exactly. core audience of kids like a lot of this is going to feel fresh. Or if they're used to playing the 2D Kirby's, this is a step up. Or like the side-scrolling Kirby's. This is for sure a step up. I just, I don't know. I just thought I'd go a little bigger. But maybe that was just me saying unrealistic expectations. And we'll just have to wait. I mean, it's only two months. We'll see. I'll probably still buy it either way. But it's definitely, I'm sort of readjusting my expectations, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, the, the whole time will tell thing I was saying a minute ago, that's kind of the motto for everything at 20, going forward for 2022 at this point. Like, you know, even looking at Nintendo's lineup, we I said this a few episodes ago, but it's one of the few years we know a good chunk of it. Uh, we know there's Bayonetta 3, Advance Wars Reboot Camps, Platoon 3, Breath of the Wild 2, Martin Rabbids, Spark of Hope. Like, they're all sitting there on the docket. But when they come out, we just have to kind of wait and see. Um, but there is one story circulating these past few weeks about another game that might make an appearance this year. Not release, just show up. Uh, which is, of all things, Mario Kart 9. Can you believe it? Nintendo's developing a sequel to one of their biggest games. What? Who would have thought? And supposedly, it has a quote-unquote new twist. Who would have thought? Any any guesses what that means in terms of a new twist for Mario Kart? Uh, I mean, I hope they mean that literally. That'd be... You, yeah, you literally fuse to two characters together. <laughs> A whole new meaning to Double Dash. I like your t- tweet, Kevin, that it's going to be a nine characters per cart for Mario Kart 9. Can you imagine? <laughs> chaos. Oh, my God. The possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping it means, if it's something serious, it's like a single-player adventure mode a la Daycon Racing or Crash uh, Crash Nitro Kart or something like that. Crash Team Racing. But Crash Team Racing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, Andrew, you made a good point when we were talking about this. I think we were talking about it on Twitter that, like, it literally could be absolutely nothing because technically every Mario Kart has had a twist, right? Nothing as in nothing would be the Oh, twist. no, no, no. I mean, like, 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 8 was, like, gravity. Well, Angel, you explained it. It was your point. Wait, what With, do you mean? How, remember when you were, we were talking about, um, when I was tweeting about this and you're like, no, but, like, it's probably gonna be, like, gravity or, like, some, or, like, a hang glider or, like, something that really doesn't actually change anything. Oh, well, yeah, like, like, Mario Kart hasn't really been very inspired, I would say, since, like, Marker 7. They're still amazingly fun games. They protect controls and everything. It like, always feels refined, but the gimmicks themselves have just felt very whatever mm-hmm. to me. Like, Marker, like, going from what do we have before Marker 7? And don't say DS. Six, it was oh, no, Wii. Wii. Yeah, it was Wii. Yeah. yeah, it was Wii. And then DS. Before that, DS. Before that, Double, Double, Double Dash. Dash? Yeah. Which was the biggest twist of the bunch, probably. Yeah, that's the only one that really had a twist. I mean, like, going from, I guess, even Double Dash to DS, I mean, honestly, the biggest twist was probably something that wasn't even intended, which was just snaking, because I feel like the game is just like, I just remember that game for its snaking and not even so much for any literally anything mm-hmm. else. If there was a new actual gimmick into Mario Kart DS, 
I don't remember it. Online. I just remember like the exploit thing. Yeah. Oh, and exactly. and you could put uh, but, custom know, art that's... on your cart, which Nintendo regretted within minutes of launching that game. Oh yeah, but I guess I don't count any of that since that doesn't affect. Well, online gameplay. does. Um, of course, online affects gameplay. I mean, that's I a huge <laughs> to be able to play Mario Kart online for the first time in two thousand four. That was a huge deal. He's talking no, about like, the, about, like okay, core, fair. The okay, core. yeah, yeah, yeah like, like it doesn't change how I'm actually controlling fair. the okay. game. I mean, if I'm racing a CPU, it's no different than I'm racing someone online. Yeah, like, yeah I, get, I get what you mean. Yeah. In terms of mechanics, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something that should be there, but yeah, it doesn't impact gameplay. Um. Yeah, like seven to eight. I mean, yeah, even like the even when they announced seven, and they're like, "Oh, cool, got hang glider and underwater sections." I did nothing. <laughs> like when they first revealed that, like I remember, like for a couple of moments, thinking like, "Oh, that's gonna be cool," but then you know the rest of the trailer plays out, and it's like, "Oh, like you're barely doing that for like more than a couple seconds, and then it's over." And even then, like you don't really, it doesn't really add much to it. It was just, I guess, an excuse to have. Um, it was just their excuses to make their level designs more creative, which, you know, is appreciated. But, yeah, ultimately, the gameplay saved it. Mark Carday added the gravity mechanic, which I felt like was barely even there. Um, it made them design crazy-looking levels, but when you're playing them, you don't even really notice like that mm-hmm. you're upside down because the camera always stays like level with you. It's only when you look at a replay that you're like, oh, that's right. This is a trippy-looking level. So... Yeah, so I don't really have my hopes up. I'm going to expect something as minimal as possible. Um, I don't know what that would be. But, yeah, like... Yeah, I, I kind of wish they were a little more like Sega in that regard. But then again, like, they need to learn from each other. Like, Sega needs to chill and maybe not make every single sequel vastly different from the last so they can actually learn from them. Like, I felt they had a really good thing going with Sonic Racing Transformed. And instead of, like, you know, building on that idea in a sequel, they went with Sonic Team Racing, which had some good points, but overall it just felt like a inferior version to Sonic Racing Transformed. Like, I barely touched it, and I played the heck out of Sonic Racing Transformed. Whereas Nintendo, I feel, is just playing it way right. too safe. So... Yeah, we need like some kind of middle ground for both of these companies. Yeah, and, and I do think to some degree this prediction that came about that there's going to be a Mario Kart, and this came from an analyst um, who does follow Nintendo be very closely, a guy named Sirkin Toto, excuse me, Dr. Sirkin Toto. But, um, you know, him being like, oh yeah, they're developing the next entry in their biggest selling franchise, and it will have, quote unquote, a new twist. Like, that literally can mean anything. So yeah, even the new twist. Ideally, yeah, it should be more than just like a gravity thing, but you're probably right. That's probably all it's going to be. Um, but what stuck, what struck me as weird about this story is both kind of how pointless it was and interesting at the same time. Because, like, on the one hand, you know, the real story would be if Nintendo wasn't making a sequel. And like we were just saying, like, every Mario Kart has some sort of new element to it. So that part, take it or leave it. But what I found kind of interesting about the story is the timing of when this new Mario Kart may happen. Like, if this analyst has his sourcing correct, and he does have a decent track record for the most part... um, it would mean we'll see Mario Kart 9 this year, and it would then be released next year, which timing-wise could imply a couple things. Uh, number one, Nintendo may actually be comfortable releasing two mainline Mario Karts on one platform for the first time ever. Uh, traditionally, they've let Mario Kart be an evergreen until the death of the platform. Then they launched the next you know, falling system, and they released the falling entry on that system. But already, 
you know, his pattern's a little out of whack. Switch technically has two Mario Karts because it has eight and it has a Mario Kart Live home circuit. And eight was already a port from a past system to begin with. So if they hypothetically want to do a proper Mario Kart 9, it has been enough years and there is enough audience that maybe they could get people a double dip. I mean, the $100 Mario Kart Live with that physical RC car still managed to be a million seller. So imagine what a full normal sequel that's at regular price and doesn't require you to take over a room to play it like imagine what that could do but it also brings up interesting possibility number two which is that mario kart could serve as another bridge between two console generations because you know uh, this dr toto guy was saying the game will be teased this year and then released next year so we could then eventually see a deluxe version on the switch 2 and say 2024 you know maybe the year after it comes out on switch because fact of the matter is the double dip worked all the diehard Nintendo fans bought on the Wii U, then again on the Switch, like 18 months later. Uh, and, and and really, like, Switch is turning five this year. The reveal of the Switch was, the anniversary of it was this past week, five years ago. And, us, you know, the OLED model is boosting sales short term. There's no doubt, even with that, Nintendo's still looking at future iteration longer term. That's In the same way that there's no doubt they're developing a new Mario Kart, of course they're working on the next system. And they have said that they want Switch to live longer than their other console cycles traditionally have lasted. But here's the thing. A seven-year run of 2017 to 2024 would be that. GameCube was only 20, uh, 2001 to 2006. Wii was only 2006 to 2012. Wii U was 2012 to not even that far into 2017. Those are all a five- to six-year range at best. Switch is going to be at seven by 2024. And it can still live on as a budget system for three-ish years after that. The Game Boy Advance did after the DS came out. The DS did after the 3DS came out. The 3DS did after the Switch came out. So, like, it kind of makes sense that they were to replicate eight and get the double dip of sales, which was, like, still a few million on the past system. You know, Mario Kart 9 may just be starting us down that road again and getting us to that successor system. And, you know, if they, if they were to do the double dip, there's precedence we have seen it before so i don't know if this is like me just i mean it's obviously me spitballing but i don't know if there's a shred of reality of this like do you guys think there's any chance or is this basically a non-star of a report for you like it, do you think mario kart's actually gonna show up this year in a capacity or you think this guy's just spinning his wheels no pun intended mm, damn this early january i would say like i don't know if i see like any room for another mario kart this year considering how well mario yeah. kart 8 is still doing but uh, no, that's, I have no idea. I mean, this is going to be a Splatoon 3 and year. And a Breath of the Wild 2 year. Not sure what other kind of big multiplayer... Oh, yeah, there's that thing. Um, yeah, not sure if what other major multiplayer game they might come out with. That, that's a good point. They don't I have a Smash do a to promote. Arms, so they only have but... one multiplayer game this year in mm-hmm. the form of Splatoon, like you said. That's actually a really good point. So if they did want to tease, hey, your multiplayer party system's going to have a new game soon, doing this in the back half of the year could help sort of set that tone that's a good point i think the one thing we could hmm. i could see a quarter three quarter four announcement Mm -hmm. with a quarter to 2023 release date yeah yeah and that would and that would kind of assuming COVID hasn't taken us assuming we're all alive yeah and that would kind of mirror when mario kart 8 um both versions of mario kart 8 came out i think they both came out in may-ish of their respective years so yeah if they did like a q2 release that's right there with precedence yeah Huh, interesting. Yeah, I, I do think you're spot on that we're not going to see it any time in both years spot on. That's not going to show up in the first half of the year or any time that soon. I mean, definitely, you know, the, the obvious would be, oh, they'd show it at E3. But, uh, yeah, I think that would cannibalize the sales way too early. 
because uh, you know if Mark Wright's still tar- topping the charts, why would they reveal it that early in the year and then sit on it for almost a year? So I think you're right; it'd be the tail end. Uh, but also because E3 is dead, so they're not going to show it at E3 probably because there is no E3. Um, so unless you guys have any other thoughts on Mark Kart, to sort of transition to that final topic before we get to our anniversary series about Street Fighter, um, yeah, E3, RIP. Um, officially, what the organizing body at the software inter- so the Entertainment Software Association (ESA) there we go. Uh, what they're saying is that due to Omicron and the fact that we may all be dead and the increased risk around COVID, uh, they are not holding an in-person E3 this year, which seems pretty cut and dry. That's exactly what we saw in 2020, for better or worse. Uh, but where things get a little weird is that the ESA couldn't confirm any date or plans for a digital E3 showcase, which they did last year. And we've seen Jeff Keighley do with Summer Game Fest the past two years, and he's always com- already confirmed it's back this year. Um, so that's a little strange that the E3 folk are not just saying it's not physical. They won't even say if it's digital. And then on top of that, some insiders are saying that the ESA wasn't going to have E3 at any point this year, whether or not Omicron happened, and that was just an excuse. Because according to them who have spoken with the likes of IGN and I believe VGC and a few other publications, uh, the Los Angeles Convention Center never had firm dates reserved for E3. And as far back as last fall, there were some rumblings within the organization that plans weren't moving forward. Usually by then, by now, folks are already in the planning stages of any show, physical or digital. ESA hadn't begun any of that. So it seems like E3 is just dead. You know, this is a good excuse, but we may not see E3 again, which is, for me, personally, a bummer. I like going and seeing the spectacle of it all and being able to deliver impressions here on the show. But, but what about you guys? Does this phase you at all? Do you care that E3 might be a thing of the past? Yeah, literally that didn't impact me whatsoever. I already wasn't. Like, going to E3, I had the chance to go once. It was awesome. I think I went, yeah, you went one more time with after... Me. But yeah, I was satisfied. Um, yeah, it makes sense that it's right. happening. Um, not expecting it to come back. Um, no, yeah, not really. Not really bum one way or the other. Uh, if this was, let's say, high school Kevin, learning that E three was canceled, yeah, it'd be a bummer. Uh, present Kevin, eh. <laughs> These last couple of E3s have been pretty lackluster. So, eh, it is what it is. Uh, Jeff, being the ruthless businessman that he is, and upon learning this, tweeting out that Summer Games Festival was still happening. Oh, yeah, he did it within 15 minutes. It was amazing. (laughs) He had the assets at the ready and just was like, all right, here we go. And the animal. And and that's kind of the thing is like, um, there are things that are kind of replacing E3, like all the stuff Jeff Keighley does with Summer Game Fest or with the Game Awards. Like, I feel like to your point about the last E3 being kind of lackluster, the writing has been on the wall for quite a while now, even pre-COVID, because like, you know, Sony pulled out everything first-party PlayStation. That was a big hit to E3, and it's how it represents the industry. You know, Nintendo did their own virtual presentations for years that didn't need E3's help in a real way. The fact that going into E3 2020 before it got cancelled, um, they're doing that weird thing where they're trying to reorient, re like orient the show around content creators and celebrity appearances because so many companies now have their own channels and methods for getting the word out. Like, yeah, I think I think it was a matter of time, and I do think the longer day three goes without that physical presence, the harder it is going to be for them to come back because more companies are honing their Nintendo Direct type strategies. Folks like Jeff Keighley have really gone like to establish their own thing because I mean he. 
him having the assets ready and being able to kind of troll E3 like that required having the knowledge that he has the companies and the show and everything lined up to be able to do that. So he's kind of stepping in. The Game Awards are kind of stepping in. It didn't help that when E3 tried to compete with these now established players like Keeley's stuff, um, they completely botched it. Like last year when they tried to do a digital E3 in tandem with the Game Awards, like, or sorry, with uh, Summer Game Fest, like they had their own organized thing. They had an app you could use. Nothing really worked in the app. The schedule wasn't there. Half the news that happened during E3 was either Summer Game Fest or just companies on their own. They were just like, oh, it's the week we're going to announce things. Okay. Like there wasn't a need for the E3 name. And I think that really speaks to E3 as a brand and an organization. Just in the face of more modern options, it's just, it's, it's, it's done. It's dead. It, it is what it is, I guess. Um, I guess I'm grateful I was able to go when I was. If there is but, a... What was that? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'm grateful I was able to go when I was and for as many times as I could. Because like E3 as an institution was video game mecca at one point and... There are other events that capture parts of that experience. You know, the Game Awards is the centralized event. The PAX or Comic-Con is like gatherings for fans and enthusiasts. But yeah, I think the spectac- the sheer spectacle, the scope, and the unreasonable amount of money that was poured into E3 and its after parties and all that, like, we're not going to get that again. There's no reason to get that again. Come to see, I don't need to spend that money. So that kind of sucks as someone who enjoyed being on the receiving end of all of it. But I, I get it. Just the reality of our times. What were you going to say, Kevin? Uh, if there's one aspect that I will miss from E3, it's not from the show directly. Uh, I am what is known as a react frog, where I will see other people <laughs> reacting to events. And so I'm going to miss like Giant Bomb reacting to the Ubisoft press conference every year. Uh, kind of funny being bored by the EA conference. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss that kind of stuff, but I'm going to miss seeing videos of people losing their minds when, uh, inevitably a brand new I don't know Dark Souls game gets announced you know so I'll miss that still, kind of I feel like those will still be there uh, though because like as they do digital presentations or, my bad so that'll still but happen, not at the right? scale yeah yeah digital presentation but yeah but not five press conferences at a time when you have Microsoft one day uh, Bethesda and Ubisoft the next yeah, day that kind yeah. of thing you know and, and that kind of folds back into like the spectacle thing I was saying because like what was so fun about E3 being here in LA and covering it for the podcast and all is like going to all that like the year where i'd like do um what was it i think thanks to angel randomly winning tickets i went to like the xbox press conference one day and then the next morning or no the morning before we were at nintendo for a tournament and that afternoon the next day i was at microsoft then the next day i was at the show floor then after that i was at like the show floor plus like a twitter after party and it kept just like it just like stacked it's like this like full week of activity and whether you're doing it in person and bragging like i am or remotely and watching not having that like it's like Super Bowl week for video games. It's Christmas week. Like not having that like centralized like thing does take some of the shine away for sure. Yeah. And Summer Game Fest does it a little, but it's so like kind of loose and up to the publishers that very few are going to be the same day. So it's still going to be like you get one a day, but it's like, oh, you get a 45-minute uh, pre-recorded video today and then 45-minute pre-recorded video tomorrow and then you're done. Like it's not quite the same level of like chaos, controlled chaos, I guess you could call it. And that's what really made E3, I feel like. Yeah, it's it a good run. Stuff of legends. We'll be able to tell our grandkids one day. We went to this video game thing, and they'll be like, "What? I just go into the metaverse." What are you talking about? But bygone era. Uh, but let's end on a more chipper note, shall we? Uh, because 2022 isn't just the year E3 maybe died for good, or the year that Nintendo's a lot of games coming out that we don't really know anything about. It's also an anniversary year for a lot of great franchises. Um, Kirby being one of them. Nintendo's promising festivities to come at a later time for its 30th. 
but also Street Fighter, which is apparently a big enough of an anniversary at 35 years that uh, Masahiro Sakurai and his entire Smash Bros. team have already relented on their plan to never update Smash Bros. Ultimate again. This weekend, Evil Ryu has joined the Spirit Collection in the game in celebration of the anniversary, even though they said that wasn't going to happen. Did that count? They said they were done Authorities. with all updates, and then two weeks later, Evil Ryu, or a month later, Evil Ryu showed up. So it's not a huge thing, but still, they did say the game was done, done, and now it's undone. Um, but yeah, it's Street Fighter is kicking off, I guess, our, our latest batch of uh, anniversary series, where for those who aren't familiar, we kind of just on again, off again as we have time reflect on the legacy and our experiences with a given franchise it's street fighters time and angel i feel like you uh this is more your speed maybe than kevin or mine you're the street fighter dude so what what has the series meant to you over these last however many years it's weird because i'm i don't really consider myself a street well, i don't know I, i'm weird i'm not i definitely have a lot of admiration for the franchise i'm a huge fan of the franchise but i've really only played street fighter 4 3d edition that's like the one i've probably put the most time into as far as like an actual street fighter game most of my time is definitely spent watching um you know just tournaments i love the competitive scene of street fighter it's like probably one of my favorite things about it and what always kept me coming back to the series is to watch like watching evos watching capcom cups watching whatever random stream I could find that has Daigo or Justin Wong or these like greats like playing Street Fighter. And as a result, you know, it made me fan of a lot of the characters, a lot of the lore, surprisingly. And yeah, I think it definitely started with Street Fighter 4 3D edition because up until that point, um, you know, we had Street Fighter 2 on like the Super Nintendo and like it's 80 different <laughs> variations. And then we didn't really have a lot on Nintendo for a while. Like, Street Fighter 3 skipped out on it completely. And then GameCube? I don't remember much at all. Outside of, but maybe there were some re-releases of I don't even know if we Street got Fighter that. 2? GameCube was, or GameCube was shunned Fighters? when it came to, like, 2D Capcom games. Like, it got the Capcom 5, and I think, like, a Mega Man Battle Network side-scroller. But, like, besides that, they did not bring anything to it. Yeah, it, it just seemed kind of dry. Like, eventually I got myself a PS3 and I was playing, you know, games parallel to Street Fighter. You know, the Capcom family of fighting games, like your uh, Marvel vs. Capcoms. That was a ton of fun. But then Nintendo eventually got Tatsunoko vs. Capcom, which was also really fun and awesome. But, yeah, like, I love that Street Fighter, like, just over the years and even, like, going into Street Fighter Five, which I only briefly paid, played, but... As I mentioned, definitely watched a ton of. Like, I guess it's kind of like Mario Kart, except where overall the gameplay is the same. You're doing Hadoukens the same way you have been since, like, the 80s or 90s or whenever Super um, Street Fighter 2 came out. But the rest, like, changes just enough that makes every game feel very unique. From just adding a parry system in Street Fighter 2 to adding a super in Street Fighter I mean, adding a parry in Street Fighter 3, to adding a super in Street Fighter 2, to adding the focus meter in Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 5, kind of changing the way you do defensive plays with your V, with the V, yeah, the V skills and, and critical arts. Like, yeah, it's definitely, again, they have just evolved pretty nicely over the years. 
and definitely gotta give it props for that. But oh man, and I think like my my biggest uh, I guess I don't even know what to call it disappointment with the franchise is probably just the fact that Ryu got spoiled or yeah leaked for the Smash reveal the day before he came out. Because that trailer would have been... You have lost your mind at 7 a.m. standing in line for whatever Nintendo E3 event we were standing in line for. Yeah, because like I mentioned, like, even if I didn't really play Street Fighter competitively, like, I... Yeah, I I guess guess at that point I was, like, to Street Fighter what, like, a hardcore Lakers fan is to Lakers. You know, just really following the sport, following the characters, both the... The lore and the, <laughs> the lore. real life. <laughs> the Laker you know, lore where they players. do off-season. <laughs> that's it. I mean, it's somewhat accurate. I don't yeah. mean people follow, like, well, what the players are up to, but, it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's been, been interesting Kevin, were you sure. much into the, like, 2D button combo fighters like Street Fighter? Uh, Yeah, I, I'd say I, I played a, a good amount of the Street Fighters. I played, like, I remember playing two at a... Uh, one of the restaurants nearby that has that still had uh you know arcade cabinets. Uh, I've always liked the Street Fighter games, but I'm just not a huge street uh, not a Street Fighter person. I'm just not the best fighting mm-hmm. game person. Uh, so like I tried out Street Fighter Four when they did their arcade edition update. I believe that's or no when the uh, Super Street Fighter Four came out. I played that one because that one had a brand new character named Jury. And I was a huge simp for her, <laughs> uh, to the point where I, I made myself a custom jury shirt, like really? online. That was cool. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, I played Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Man, remember that game? Uh, because oh, I was also a really big uh, Tekken fan, and so I gave that game a shot. And once again, I have fun with these games, but mm-hmm. I'm just not good at them. And then Street Fighter Five was when I finally tried to get good at them, like right from the beginning. Uh, but once again, I have fun with them. And, but all my friends are really good fighting game uh, players. Elvis is good at them. Angel's good at them. Uh, we have a, our friend Celso who's really good at them. Our friend Daniel who's really good f- good at them. It's so like I can just never have fun with them because they'll just cream me. Uh, but yeah, I like the games. My my favorite Street Fighter memory is actually from Street Fighter Five, where me and a few friends we went to a music festival in Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and we got this beautiful Airbnb and we took a PS4, and we came back from the festival maybe around I don't know maybe around eleven to midnight ish. And me and Celso started to play Street Fighter Five, and we played for five straight hours. I don't even think we switched wow. characters, which was <laughs> which was funny. Yeah, I played Cammy the entire time. I don't remember what he played, but yeah, we just played for five straight hours. I remember Elvis actually messaging us like, "Wow, you guys are still playing." I remember people coming into the living room and looking at us like. You guys are still playing this game. You guys have been playing for four hours. We were just, we were just having a grand time. We we're just messing around with each other. We we're trash talking each other. Alcohol and pride might have played a huge <laughs> part in why we played it for five straight hours. But man, I loved it. Yeah, the series doesn't mean much to me, but I still have a right, lot of fun right. with it. Yeah, I think 
I, I'm kind of in your boat, Karen, that one, all my friends are good at fighting games except me. Wait, but that means we each have a friend that's not good at fighting games, each other. But besides each other, yeah, same boat. Um, and also, I just like the... I mean, I'm pretty sure I could destroy you yeah. in any fighting game, though. Yeah, you could. Because that's the other thing, is I'm just bad at the button combos, like, just the, the all that. But I do appreciate, like, it is fun to play casually. Like, I, I've always had fun fighting games casually with friends. But, um... I do appreciate Street Fighter's legacy, I feel like. Because I feel like Street Fighter kind of... It wasn't by itself, but it was a big part in birthing sort of what fighting games became and how they worked and led to things like Tekken and whatnot and, and other things. And in a way, Smash But Like, you, it all kind of comes down to Street Fighter in many ways and that era of fighting games and just creating that entire genre and what it has led to and just the fact that you see... Capcom continue to sort of toy with that legacy in different ways where they do different crossover games like, uh, you know, they have one where they went head-to-head with SNK and they did Capcom versus SNK or they have the Marvel versus Capcoms or they have like uh, the what was the one on the Wii? The anime one? Tatsunoku versus Capcom? Yeah. yeah so like they had all, like Capcom. it was cool to see them kind of have this formula, hone it so well, iterate on it so much that they'd make like six of the same game essentially but then start to just sort of absorb other things and sort of bridge gap. You know, you mentioned Cap, um, uh, Street Fighter versus Tekken, cross Tekken. Like, that was really cool because Tekken was, I would say, to some extent, the first game that sort of put the Street Fighter me- uh, mechanic formula on the Z axis and made it 3D. So it's cool to see, like, Street Fighter kind of give respect to Tekken and Tekken kind of, like, you know, pay homage to its legacy. And just like that legacy of Street Fighter, I think it's just so interwoven in so much of gaming. That is just that's cool to see that you know it was able to have that sort of staying power and become what it became. So, um, but I'm really bad at it, and I don't have very very many specific memories. But I, I guess I, as a kid, I do remember I always used to like playing as Blanco. Like when I'd be in arcade, like Cyber Station, which was actually owned by Namco, um, or things like that as a kid. And I did play Street Fighter. I'd always be Blanco because I always thought he kind of looked like the Hulk. <laughs> so that's my one memory. But yeah, I was really bad at it. But it it, it it's. It's a franchise worthy of its praise. It 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 changed gaming in a lot of ways, especially the arcade scene. So, so props to it for doing what it did. It's kind of where I stand on it. Um, but yeah, unless there's anything else you guys want to touch on Street Fighter, I think that's it. I think we're done here with the whole episode. I mean, yeah. So, uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time on January thirtieth with another episode full of news and games, and I promise not. A second Bidoof analysis. That was a one and done for now. Um, but to make sure you don't miss what news and games and whatnot we're talking about, you can subscribe to us on uh, whatever podcasting app you use. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. We're on YouTube. RamNintendo.com is the name. We are on Twitter at RamNintendo. And that's it. You can make sure you don't miss any of that or any of the random non-tendos we're up to. We may or may not have one next week. But if you missed last week's, we did the Quarantinis our yearly uh, awards of everything we like beyond Nintendo. So check that out if you haven't. Um, you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And that same Kevin now has the final word. Apparently, there is a restaurant chain in Canada called Beaver Tales. So now you know that. <laughs>